Greetings and welcome to Resurgence. I'm sitting here holding a nice, cool Bud Light. Not. Just kidding. <laughs> it, this has been an amazing week to see a major American corporation finally back down after the latest politically correct moral preening. They finally met an immovable force, and it turned out it was the beer-drinking men of America. So, <laughs> cheers to one and all. I trust you're finding some other brand of beverage these days, and uh, well done out there, guys. I'm saying guys because most of the Bud Light being consumed out there is being consumed by guys. So, well done, gentlemen. It's good to see that we're finally fighting back. This is This is nice to be winning. They've been running over us for a long time. So this was a, a small but important victory. I'm not going to go into it any further. A lot of other people weighed in on it. I, I try to focus on things that others are neglecting to talk about. But I would be remiss if I didn't tip my hat to you all. Well done. And welcome again to this episode of Resurgence. I'm your humble and obedient host, Andrew Thomas. And why don't we plunge right into things I'm going to go into Trump under siege here in a moment and discuss some of the latest news and aspects of the witch hunts brewing against him. But let me begin by talking about what I'm going to call a tale of two legislatures. And there are events that have happened over about the last week that remind us of why Republicans and conservatives and patriots are losing, why we're getting our rear ends kicked time after time, and we have been for not for months or years, but for decades. We saw over the last week two legislatures take action. Both were controlled by Republicans, and both turned out to be feckless in different ways. I don't blame the Tennessee legislature, but I blame the Arizona legislature. And let me tell you a little more about where I'm going with this. We had three Democrat legislators in Tennessee who marched onto the floor of the State House of Representatives, a couple of them wielding a bullhorn, and completely shut down the legislature. And their, their cause of the day was gun control. They were exploiting the, the terrible atrocity at the Christian school in, in Nashville. And the Republican legislature there Republican-controlled, appropriately took action. They voted to expel two out of the three. The third one was a woman who wasn't included, apparently because she wasn't wielding the bullhorn that the other two were wielding. And their names are Representative Justin Jones and Justin Pearson. Both of them are black. The woman who wasn't expelled, Gloria Johnson, is white. But we saw what we've come to expect from Democrats. When these two representatives who had behaved outrageously on the floor of the assembly to which they were elected, when they were expelled, the Democrats totally lined up in support of them. They turned it into a racial issue when it clearly wasn't. It had to do with basic order and decorum in the legislature. The media weighed in and uh, they all got in lockstep. This is from the Associated Press. They called it an extraordinary act of political retaliation. That's how they described the vote of the Tennessee House of Representatives to expel these two guys who had come in and, and basically invaded the chamber. And Republicans 
with some justification compared it to January 6th, they at least pointed out the hypocrisy. You can't criticize what happened on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol and not criticize what happened here. And both of these guys were promptly reappointed to their seats from the two legislative districts that had elected them. One was in Nashville and uh, the other was in Memphis. So they've been returned and they're, they're toasted as heroes. And so you have that in Tennessee. Now let's look at Arizona, where I've, I held office and uh, know, uh, still know a number of the politicos and, and some of the leaders there. Arizona behaved very differently. A member of the Arizona House of Representatives, Liz Harris, had invited a witness to testify, and the witness ended up straying into a, a number of allegations against high-ranking people in Arizona, and they were stunning allegations. She alleged uh, connections to the Sinaloa cartel, very, very tough allegations. She said she had the documentation to back it up. I haven't reviewed it, and the media, of course, didn't report it because it, it dealt with a lot of their favorite people. In any event, the Arizona House of Representatives voted to expel her, just <laughs> kick her out of the legislature. So Liz Harris is now gone. And I don't know Liz Harris, and I don't know the truth or falsity of, of the allegations that were made there, but I know that the Arizona legislature under Republican control, has a very itchy trigger finger when it comes to disciplining its own Republican members when the left-wing media and all that howling mob starts to pitch a fuss. Last year, the Arizona Senate voted to censure a Republican. There was a state senator uh, who had attended a conference, the same one that Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene attended, and she was censured by an overwhelming vote. Uh, we had uh, a few years ago, there was a a state uh, legislator named Don Shooter, who was expelled from the legislature because of Me Too allegations. And I'm not defending whether, what he did. I don't even know, you know the, the truth or falsity of what he did. But the point is, people have rights. And when the voters elect somebody to office, they can't just be expelled because there's a liberal lynch mob that comes after them. That defeats the will of the people. And for Republicans to continue to do this, to continue every time there's a, a bunch of negative press in the Arizona Republic and the media, to cave to the pressure from the liberal lynch mobs to just expel people or to censure and marginalize them, it, it's incredibly damaging to our side, and it reveals them to be cowards. Let me give you another example. John McCain, yes, that John McCain, U.S. Senator, the Uber Rhino, he was the one who kicked off the Russia investigation. He got the Steele dossier, which has been completely discredited. It was the work of Democrat operatives, and he gave it to the FBI. And, and Trump, understandably, was sore about this uh, uh, throughout McCain's life. But he wasn't the fact that he he had false allegations. He kicked off an FBI and federal investigation. The Mueller investigation cost us thirty two million dollars and it, it didn't paralyze, but it greatly handicapped the Trump administration for the, the first the better part of, of its term for that to for that to happen McCain got no blowback none of the democrats who latched onto that and took us on that wild goose chase none of them were expelled none of them were even censured so my point is when are republicans going to grow a backbone or other parts of their anatomy as necessary and stand up to these people
what we saw in Arizona was a disgrace. It just seems like the only motivating principle anymore among Republican politicians is that they want to be the last ones eaten by the leftist crocodiles. And that seems to be all they care about. And if you use that as a working premise and apply it to the behavior of all these Republican politicians, it, it actually explains 100% of their behavior. But this was indefensible. You can't, you can't keep backing down to these people because they're going to come after you eventually. So shame, shame, shame. That's what the left likes to say. I'm going to start saying it to Republicans when they don't stand firm, Republican office holders. All right. So with a paper shuffle, let's change the subject and pivot to Trump under siege. We had a couple of significant developments in the witch hunts against President Trump. Evan Corcoran, whom I referenced last week in the, the Trump under siege the portion of the podcast, He's an attorney for President Trump, or at least he was, in regard to the Mar-a-Lago investigation. He's now submitted a motion to withdraw. He's going to remove himself as the attorney in the Mar-a-Lago investigation. He's apparently going to continue on for President Trump in other capacities. But the left was all giddy when they saw this. They thought, oh, well, charges must must be imminent because he, he knows he's going to have to testify against Trump. Well, really, the more realistic way to look at it is that he knows he's going to be a witness against President Trump because a federal judge has ordered him to be a witness against President Trump. The federal judge has pierced the attorney-client privilege, which is, again, a a terrible precedent, but they don't care. All they care about is the end result, not not the rule of law that's being destroyed along the way. But so that that has happened this week. That's significant, it, but it, it, that's predictable. What is far more concerning is a report from the Washington Post last week. So you know it's it's straight from the lips of of the dragon. Citing eight anonymous sources, they're saying that federal prosecutors are now uh, conducting uh, or are now seeking, quote unquote, a wide range of documents related to fundraising after the 2020 election, looking to determine if former President Donald Trump or his advisors scammed donors by using false claims about voter fraud to raise money. And apparently Smith's team is willing to use federal wire fraud laws which make it illegal to make false representations over email to swindle people out of money. Well, this is, and this is, this is following up on the, the House January 6th committee, that wonderful, unbiased, neutral panel that uh, called this the big ripoff, that President Trump had ripped off his supporters by uh, uh, raising money for litigation and, and other expenses related to the 2020 election. It, it is certainly a troubling development. Apparently, Jack Smith's office has sent out subpoenas starting in March to a number of uh, Trump advisors and aides and political operatives. He's casting a broad net. That much is is clear. And the t subpoenas are targeting communications that will allow investigators to compare what Trump aides were telling each other about the veracity of the election Blah, blah, blah. You understand they're trying to say, well, since we the, the aides didn't believe that the election was stolen, that they were engaged in some sort of fraud by asking donors to litigate and challenge the 2020 election results. What we have here is Jack Smith, the special counsel appointed to go after President Trump. Uh, he's very aggressive. But apparently 
he sees himself as now a, a sort of national consumer fraud czar that he can go in and determine whether politicians and their emails are breaking their promises or not. I, I, I could certainly name a number of politicians I would nominate to be scrutinized in that manner. And, and I wouldn't certainly wouldn't start with President Trump, but they're not interested in that. It's just the continuation of the witch hunt, and it is a very serious development. The the reason why there's trouble is they can they can just start you know panning for gold, just start looking for e emails, random statements that can be taken out of context. They can scrutinize how he spent the money. So last week I outlined four uh, criminal investigations that we knew of the four main ones against President Trump. We now have a fifth. This is this is a fifth one that stands alone in my judgment and it's it's serious. There's uh, they indicted uh, Steve Bannon uh, for wire fraud. He was pardoned by President Trump before he left office. This is now a fifth uh, a fifth line of attack against President Trump. And one has already landed an indictment and you can see that this is this is very troubling. I also, as part of the Trump under siege, I want to talk about an important civil case that's supposed to go to trial in New York on April 25th. A lot of these are, of course, coming up in New York. In fairness, President Trump lived there for a long period of time. But there is a, a, a plaintiff named E. Jean Carroll. She was a magazine advice columnist and a TV talk show personality back in the day. And she has brought two lawsuits against President Trump, one for defamation and one for battery. Battery is the civil law uh, term for unwanted touching. It can encompass anything from beating somebody severely to just kissing them without their consent. But there are two different lawsuits. The first one, the defamation one, is on appeal. It's been hung up. But the second one, the battery one, is going to trial starting, in April 20, starting on April 25th. And Carol claims that she saw President Trump at a department store in Manhattan in 1995 or 1996, and Trump stopped and asked her for some shopping advice because he knew her, recognized her. And at some point, he pushed her into a dressing room and sexually assaulted her. So the allegations are extremely serious and obviously, if true, horrible. But the allegations involve events that occurred almost 30 years ago, New York lawmakers had to change the statute of limitations to allow a lawsuit like this to even come forward as part of the Me Too reaction. So ordinarily, this claim would be barred. Anyhow, Carol, her, her explanation for coming forward with it now, she said she told two witnesses at the time, but she said the reason she's come forward now is because she, basically she's seen Trump's behavior as president and doesn't doesn't like what he's doing, and then the Me Too accusations against uh, the movie mogul Harvey Weinstein encouraged her to, to, to come forward, and she wrote a memoir, perhaps not coincidentally, in 2019 discussing some of this. Trump has denied it. He's noted there are no pictures, no surveillance. In fairness, they didn't have video cameras everywhere 30 years ago like they do now. But this is to go to trial at a federal courthouse in Manhattan. The judge is saying the jury will be anonymous because they could be targeted. And so that, that seems a little, a little overwrought. But in any event, I, I want to bring up this case. And I, and I put it under the category of Trump under siege. I, I, don't, I don't know the merits of the allegations. We're going to have a jury, hopefully a fair jury, decide this. But I do put this under the rubric of... Trump under siege for a reason, a couple reasons. She acknowledges 
publicly that Trump's election as president was a major factor in getting her to move forward. So there seems to be that compelling, by her own admission, the, the lawsuit. Since the legal community is very anti-Trump, I'm sure that didn't hurt with her getting a lawyer and the support professionally that's needed to move forward with the lawsuit. But her experience was very different from that of, for example, Juanita Broderick. You might remember that name. She accused a Democratic president of raping her years before he became president, back when he was attorney general of Arkansas. Broderick claimed she was lured into a hotel room with him, and there he assaulted her sexually. And she had a lot of specifics. In any event, she was just brushed aside, Dateline did an interview of her, but held it until after the impeachment hearings were over for Bill Clinton. She, she did get her story out through the Wall Street Journal in the meantime. In any event, she was dismissed and discarded. And only now that the Me Too movement has come up now, and, and frankly, now that Clinton is no longer in office, oh, well, maybe we should have listened to her. Now you're hearing that from like Michelle Goldberg of the New York Times and others. But she was, she was just dismissed and was not taken seriously. There was no day in court for her. And she still can be heard from proclaiming what happened to her. But there certainly isn't the level of, of leftist angst about that that there is about uh, President Trump. So there was going to be a trial. Let's pray that it's a fair one and that justice is done. But obviously, if Trump loses, that's a very bad thing for him, because the Democrats are going to use that in the election next year. They're going to target swing female voters, and, and the plaintiff herself might appear in TV ads. So you heard that here first. We shall see. But the good news for the week is that we've got Budweiser on the run. <laughs> they have acknowledged effectively that they made a mistake in trying to preach politically correct dogma. Thank you for holding firm. We need a lot more fighting back. Let's celebrate the victories and let's keep it up. I want to thank you very much for joining me here on Resurgence Podcast. We'll have another one next week. Again, you can read my articles and subscribe on Resurgence Substack. And the link, if you're listening on a podcast service outside Substack, the link should be on the, the podcast uh, where, it, where it appears on your service. Thank you so much for joining me. Keep the faith and keep on trucking. And may your day be full of green lights and blue skies. We'll see you back next week. Take care.